Good morning, everyone. Um, my talk today is from the Mumokan case 35. Seijo and her soul are separated. Introduction. Words like windswept waves create drama for the boats while fish swim in peace. The case, Zen master Gosho asked a monk, Seijo had two souls, one always sick at home and the other in the city, a married woman with two children. Which one was the true soul? Mumon's commentary, <clears throat> if you are enlightened in the truth of this koan, you will understand that coming out of one shell or husk and entering another is just like a traveler staying at a hotel. In case you are not yet enlightened, do not rush about blindly. When suddenly earth, water, fire, and wind are about to decompose, as in death, you will be like a crab which has fallen into the boiling water and is struggling with its seven arms and eight legs. At that time, do not say that I didn't warn you. And the verse, the clouds and the moon are the same. Valleys and mountains are different from each other. All are blessed, 10,000 times blessed. Is this one, is this two? Gosho Hoen, also known as Wuzu Fayan or Guinyan in Chinese, lived in the 11th century and was important for keeping alive the Rinzai school of Zen. One of his Dharma heirs was Engo Koguan or Yuan Wu Kagan, who compiled the Blue Cliff Record. A primary concern of Gosho's was the role of language in Zen practice, similar to the Diamond Sutra's teachings that there are, that because there are no words, that is why we can make use of them. This tension is reflected in the effort by some of Gosho's followers to destroy the Blue Cliff Record because its words might be dangerous and confuse people more than clarify. This concern with the dangers of language is reflected in the following story about Gosho. A monk once asked Gosho, your teacher Bayan cut off the tongues of everyone beneath heaven. But as for Bayan's tongue, who will cut it off? To which Gosho responded, old wand in the East Village. He then added, it's nothing other than ordinary affairs, but according to your thinking, it's something different. If you think you can understand through speech, then know that you have not penetrated the truth. If you think you can't understand through speech, then your head and mind are like a raging fire. So just pass through Joshua's gate and cut off Bayan's tongue yourself. Don't betray the ancient sage's compassion. Can we accept the sage's compassion of using words where none are sufficient and now talk for a while about the reality of say without getting lost in the weeds. Is one say more real than the other, or are we more real than say, 
or is one of our parts more real than the other parts of us? And what language can we use to discuss these selves and parts? Dogen might justly be worried, if I may paraphrase, that to discuss the self is to enable the self, to give it nourishment when our practice is focused on stopping this and slimming it down. The haunting story which informs this koan is worthy of a Twilight Zone episode. It is based on a well-known ghost story in China about a young woman named Sei or Seijou, also sometimes written as Sen, and the Zhou that's added to her name designates her as a young woman. I gave a long version of this story in a recent Dharma diary and will give a shorter summary here. Once upon a time, an old man named Chokan had one daughter who was very beautiful and named Sei. He loved her very much. He also had a nephew named Ocho who often played with Sei when they were young. Her father thought they looked so good together that he teased them that they would get married when they grew up. They did fall in love, but the father had not been serious and now found another suitor for Sei. The lovers were devastated, and Ocha decided he had to leave town that night. As his boat sailed away, he saw a vague figure running along the bank of the river. He stopped, and it was Sei, who then left with him. They set up home far away and raised two children. Five years later, Sei could not hide that she was homesick. Now that she was a parent, she realized how much she hurt her own parents by leaving. Ochu felt bad about this as well, and so they decided to return and ask to be forgiven. When they arrived, Ochu went to apologize and told Chokan their story. But Chokan could not understand and asked whom Ochu was talking about. When Ochu said Sei, Chokan said that Sei had never left and had in fact been in bed without speaking ever since Ocho had gone. Ocho repeated that Sei had left with him and invited her father to come to the boat and see for himself. The old man was reluctant, so Ocho brought back Sei by himself. In the meantime, Chokan got his daughter out of bed. When she heard about Ocho's story, she rushed out to meet the approaching Sei, and the two became one. Chokin said to his newly unified daughter, ever since Ochu left, you have been dumb and lifeless, as though your soul had fled. And she replied, I did not know that I was homesick in bed. When I heard that Ochu had left, I followed his boat as if in a dream. There is a lot in this story to sort out within the challenge that Gosho has set for us to determine what reality is and not get lost in the confusions of language. People here are divided within themselves, as well as people dividing other people to suit their own purposes. Say describes her experience traveling with Ocho as if it were a dream, a being, a not being sure quite what is real. Ocho also describes the figure running after his boat in the dark as vague and unknown until he stops to see it more closely giving his experience also its own dreamlike quality. And the say who stays bedridden at home could be the father's projection of where his daughter should be after Ocho has left. Say is split about wanting to both leave and to stay, 
while Ojo wants the leaving part for his own and her father wants the staying part. Plenty of parts, plenty of drama. As I was working on this talk, I had just finished figuring something out about the relation of Sei's two parts and was trying to explain this clever insight to Sei Gyoko when she said that I was not taking the father enough into account. I thought the father was irrelevant to what I had figured out, and so I tried to dismiss her insight into the story. This lasted about 12 hours until I was sitting the next morning and realized that both Sei and her father and Ocho had all experienced being divided and also experienced a healing at the end of the story. As I began to take the story apart to see how things fit together, I was bothered by the supernatural aspect of there being two versions of the same person, Sei, living simultaneously. I kept trying to figure out how to take the supernatural ghost story element out of this, how to translate it into more everyday terms. Both Seis are certainly alive in the thoughts of both Sei and her father. Each Sei seems crippled by this bifurcation so that neither Sei seems able to flourish. One obviously sick in bed, but the other while apparently flourishing with a stable and growing family, still uneasy and divided in her heart about abandoning her father, about losing a part of herself. The father also experiences the divided say, the vibrant girl who becomes the bedridden mute, a change for which he feels responsible. And Ocho watches his happy young wife become someone else who is sad and depressed. Many people, many parts. All three characters are haunted by something like ghosts. And once we are aware of how easily we divide ourselves, we also see similar ghosts all around us. That we ourselves are full of such ghosts, supernatural in their questionable relation to reality. The parts are representations of ourselves that we create for ourselves and others, and that others create for us that these might be contrary to what other people claim as reality does not stop us. The story illustrates two major sources of such ghost building, fantasies about future bliss and regrets about past loss. Both hold the present hostage to something that only exists in a time that does not really exist, that is in the past and the future. I once had a student come to me for advising about her course selections for the next academic term. She was very organized and had a list of all the courses she wanted to take. She also had a laminated four page timeline of all the courses for the rest of her college career and on into graduate school. And also including the major events in her social life such as when she would meet her fiance, when she would get married, and when she would have kids. She appeared very intensely in the present moment, but only as it was the next step in fulfilling her overall plan. She was not in the moment for what it was and for what it could offer. She did leave school after the next semester, so I do not know what happened and how her timeline actually played out. She created so many ghosts of herself that the timeline was all that was holding her together. I'd like to examine more carefully future bliss and past regret to see how these ghosts are generated and what we can do about it. At Seiyoko's focusing workshop last Wednesday night, 
we were discussing the focusing idea of self in presence, which sounds rather simple, just being myself at this moment. But in reality, we seem to keep slipping off into the future or into the past. The present being neither the relatively known past nor the safely distant future is an experience beyond language. Language is always playing catch up with the present, trying to see if past meanings still apply in the present and trying to preserve the fast fading experiences which once informed those meanings. Zen is the effort to bring our awareness to the present moment as we have been studying in the eight awareness experiences of a realized person, where we've seen the difficulty the mind has in trying to gain and maintain living in the present. The creation of ghosts is one ploy of our culturally trained minds to dwell where they think they know something, but it's actually only illusory. We think we can learn from past experience, and we also think we can make plans for the future but we do not see the radical uniqueness and therefore the inaccessibility of the moment from either the past or the future. Karma only leads up to this moment. It does not determine it. And the future has too many moving parts to make possible any meaningful prediction. <clears throat> at, at, at some unknown point in the future of our socially shared time, each of us will die as well all other living creatures. The only moment we are really alive is in the present. Life and death is also the subject of a similar ghost story. The 2011 film, Another Earth, available to rent on Amazon, which is another story of ghostly division and regret. The movie makes use of the modern theory from physics of the possibility of parallel universes as there can be an unlimited that is potentially an infinite number of such universes, it is possible, and some would even say necessary, that there's another universe just like ours, with an earth just like ours, with inhabitants just like ours, even down to the existence of a parallel you and me. In the movie, such a twin earth is discovered, moving closer to our own earth. And as communication develops with this planet, it becomes clear that its history and present circumstances are very similar to our own, but perhaps not exactly so. Different choices by similar people may have led to different outcomes. The main character in the movie is a young woman who unintentionally causes a fatal automobile accident, killing a young wife and child. She causes this while driving she does this because while driving, she is gazing up at other Earth instead of on the road. She's on a very isolated road in a far distant part of the town. So instead of looking at the road, she's gazing up at the other Earth and runs a stop sign by mistake. And this is what causes the crash. She goes to prison for manslaughter and is consumed with regret, both for her life as her promising career has now ended and for those she killed. She changes from a vibrant young woman with her life full ahead of her to someone who is dead inside. She tracks down the husband who survived and who is also deeply damaged. He refuses to meet her and blames her for his loss. Using an assumed name, she later becomes his caretaker, first as his cleaning person and eventually as his lover. 
she finally has to reveal who she really is, which she takes badly and again rejects him. She then wins a lottery for a space voyage to visit the other Earth, where people like her, perhaps a double of her, have lives which might or might not be exact duplicates. The tragic accident might not have happened on the other Earth. Her double might still be on her way to a successful career. Finding her double might be a way out of her regret, but she still feels responsible for the husband's pain, so she gives the ticket to him, offering him the opportunity for a different future. He then leaves in a spaceship hoping to find his intact family on the twin Earth. Visitors from the other Earths have also begun to arrive on our own. And in the last scene, the heroine arrives at her house to find her double who is waiting for her, but shows no signs of depression or suffering. The double has come to visit and is waiting in her driveway. So she might be all right after all. The movie ends as the two walk towards each other. The problem of how these two people can become one to share one consciousness, one history of their existence is not explained in the movie or in the car. It's also not readily apparent in our lives when we are confronted by our other selves and usually struggle to keep them hidden or at least apart from each other. Uniting does not seem possible. Either the past was so bad or the future so good that nothing in the present could be worthwhile enough. The value of the present is only made real by our practice of being in the present. Regret is a ghost from the past that limits our present. It's often introduced with the words, if only. If only I had gone to a different school or married a different person or had different parents or grew up in a different town, state or country, had different eyes, ears, hair, height, body shape, or had a different job or car or lottery ticket, and on and on and on. We all have had regrets and if onlys, some just a passing thought, while others can be a crippling obstacle to being present. Our ghostly parallel others that we create, who did all of these different things are so much better off than we are, that there is little that the present can offer. To say like the movie heroine who lost her chance for happiness and stayed home, in her regret had only an empty life of depression to look forward to, unless she could find something in the now that was more powerful than the if onlys she had lost in the past. The eloping Sejo tells herself the other kind of ghost story, the Disney fantasy of a future where like my students timeline, everyone lives happily ever after. My current self is put aside in favor of the fantasy I can create of how much better I will be someday. The list of future makeovers which will enable my life to begin is very similar to the reverse of the if only list of disasters that have disabled me. While one regrets the lack of the past and the present, the other awaits the fulfillment which only the future can bring. When I have a different body or a different job or live in a different place and so on, the ghostly presence who is chasing this dream can become fully real only in the future. Say says that she feels like she is in a dream as she elopes and conveniently cuts her parents out of her dream. When their reality reasserts itself, her fantasy sours. Our efforts to selectively edit karma to accommodate our fantasies is doomed to fail. 
She could have continued living as a ghost, but only as an increasingly divided person. Her only chance for healing was to return home. We have been studying and practicing wholeheartedness during this ongoing period. We've been looking at the eight awarenesses of an enlightened person as suggestions where in our own lives we might look to find moments of wholeheartedness and how we might be able to practice them and experience them further. We have been exploring the experience of being wholehearted in the several ongoing workshops as we tried to explore our self in presence with a focusing partner or shared our artistic expressions of our wholehearted experiencing of nature or experienced the deepening sense of this very moment in the extended holding of postures in yin yoga and making contact with each chakra center to more fully experience our bodies right now. We may also have watched ourselves dealing with the stream of present moments as we reflected upon our daily experiences in our Dharma journals. We have found amid these experiences that there are many ways in which we divide ourselves, in which we create other selves to help us deal with the difficulties we are experiencing in the present, either retreating into the past or rushing into the future. These selves all have good reasons for their existence, while at the same time they can promote delusions of independent action and isolation from the common ground we share. The ego in our isolated selves, be they living in the past depressed in bed, or the future seeking happily ever after, is cut off from any contact with the upaya in the now. The reality check of zazen practice and being totally present is unavailable to it. This unchecked ego can and does grow deeper into the depressed world of unrelief problems or into the fantasy of a world that will be without problems. Somehow say realize both that she was suffering and that she could do something about it. Two things that neither of her parts separately seemed able to do. As a result of this ongoing, I have found my understanding of what it means to be present somewhat simplistic and now have more respect for how difficult it is to be really present. As Muman says in his commentary, we meet each moment as a traveler staying in a hotel. We inhabit the meeting point of karma and upaya in this very moment and then move on, like the hermit crab finding a new shell to meet the next. Whatever we, are, whatever we fully are in any moment is of that moment. We are wholehearted by being different as each different moment requires, as the shifting clouds and moon in the verse are always changing how they appear yet they remain the same moon and the same clouds. The stable valleys and mountains appear never to change, yet are also different from each other. We can meet the moment only as a person meets the moment, that is, with language that can either tie us ever tighter to some past or future imagined reality, or a fluid language that suggests and provokes, that opens up experience instead of conceptually enclosing it that opens up the notion of I as the permanent center as well. Each present moment is exactly like all others. Each is just a point in time, yet each is absolutely different. Mumon's commentary reminds us that one of these moments, like every other, will be our bodily death. We generally ignore that this group of our parts, the elements that compose us, 
is constantly being rearranged and gradually decomposing. Our death is nothing special, just another arrangement in another moment. One has to be wholehearted to be fully in the present moment and to fully experience the present moment is to be wholehearted. The present is large enough to accommodate all of the selves we have created and give them a place where they can live together in harmony. We find ourselves when we can be present in the moment as the two says became one when they finally live together in the present. The present is the only place to find the true self, the self open to all of its parts and open to its never ending interactions with all things in the universe. The expanding self, which can take all things into itself. As Dogen reminds us to study the way is to study the self, to study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by, that is to be open to, all things of the universe. The Diamond Sutra, which echoes Goso and Dogen, saying, because there is no self, we can speak the self. Wait, let me say that one again. The Diamond Sutra also echoes Goso and Dogen by saying, because there is no self, we can speak the self. In this light, I might suggest rereading the last line of the verse using the title from an ancient, well, from an excellent short novel by Pirandello. Pirandello is an Italian writer uh, in the 20s and 30s, <clears throat> um, which deals with a person awakening to the multiple selves he has created and that others have created for him, and which, as he simplifies his life, he learns to live with together. The name of the novel is One, No One, and One Hundred Thousand. Thank you for your attention. <clears throat>